Spirit. So Team Grace, what I'd like to do is jump right back into our National Eucharistic Revival. And observance of, in observance of the revival, we know that we're walking to, through two strands. In our homilies, we're walking to, through two different things. First, we're walking through the different parts of the Mass so we can understand what it is we're participating in. Mother Church calls us to actively and consciously participate in the Mass. So we have to know what's happening, what's going on, what we're called to do. How are we supposed to spiritually be involved in what's occurring during the different parts of the Mass? So we definitely want to make sure we go over those. And then secondly, we're walking through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We're in part two, the section on the Eucharist, so that Mother Church can teach us herself in terms of what we are called to believe in terms of the Lord's true presence in the Eucharist. So again, we're just walking through these two strands. So let's go to the Mass parts. Let me ask you, Team Grace, how many main parts are there of the Mass? Wow, look at you. What's the first part of the Mass? And the second part of the Mass? Excellent. Do you know, Team Grace, those two simple questions that you just answered are two simple questions that the vast, vast majority of Catholics cannot answer. The Mass is the most important thing we do. It is literally the thing we do every week, at least once a week. And there are many Catholics who do not even know the basics. Do you see how much work we have to do? Mother Church calls us to know what's happening so we can actively participate. That's why here at Our Lady of Grace for this National Eucharistic Revival, we're walking through the different parts of the Mass. Mother Church particularly admonishes her priests, the pastors, to teach the faithful. So my question is, what has been going on the past five decades? Why is it that the faithful do not know? How is it that we can have well, those go through formation programs for the last several decades and still not know the basics of the Mass? Again, we have a lot of work to do. Here at Our Lady of Grace, we're picking up the mantle that's been given to us. I want to make sure as your pastor that you have full and active knowledge of what's going on, that you can actively and consciously participate, that you can receive all the graces that God wants to give to you through this holy sacrifice. So let's talk about the different parts of the Mass. We know we concluded the introductory rites. Right now in our homily series, we're walking through the Liturgy of the Word. We talked about the first reading in the Psalm and the importance of the Old Testament. We spoke about the second reading that comes from one of the apostolic letters of the New Testament and how that apostolic letter applies to us. And then last week we spoke about the Alleluia. Ha, huh, and I noticed you all saying that Alleluia. Nice. Very robustly. Bravo, Team Grace. So what I want to do now is move to the Gospel Proclamation. The Gospel Proclamation is the height of the entire Liturgy of the Word. The Gospel during the Liturgy of the Word is meant to parallel the Eucharistic prayer during the Liturgy of the Eucharist. So everything in the Liturgy of the Word points to the proclamation of the Gospel. Everything else in the Liturgy of the Word points to or flows from the proclamation of the Gospel. In fact, it's so important that Mother Church surrounds it with very important traditions. Traditions that we observe but may have not even begun to think about. We just got used to them happening. So perhaps it's worth us highlighting them to understand what's happening and why is that being done. First, we spoke that after the second reading, we stand up. Now, in the early church, we would have been standing for the entire liturgy of the word. In the 16th century, when Protestants invented the pews, Mother Church said, that's a good idea. You can use the pews. But realize that the pews were given to you not for comfort, but that you might be more attentive. But during the gospel, we go to the ancient tradition, we stand up. 
We stand up and we begin to announce God's praises because we know what's coming. The Gospel proclamation, we are preparing our hearts. Think of that Samaritan today when he came back to the Lord and he, we are told he was glorifying God in a loud voice. That's an hallelujah right there. And today we were given that hallelujah. We stand up, we begin to do the, uh, sing the hallelujah, proclaim the hallelujah, and we're getting ready for the gospel. Have you noticed that the gospel can only be proclaimed by someone who's ordained? It can only be proclaimed by a bishop, a priest, or a deacon. Because the proclamation of the gospel requires the grace of holy orders. Because there's something powerful, mystical, that's happening during the proclamation of the gospel that requires an ordained minister. Again, either a bishop, a priest, or a deacon. So first, just a realization, that requires another whole sacrament just for the proclamation to happen. And then you may have noticed that if the priest proclaims the gospel, he stands before the altar and he bows and he's saying prayers given to him by the church. They're private prayers, but I'll tell you what's happening. The priest who's about to proclaim the gospel is begging the Holy Spirit to fill his soul that he might worthily proclaim the gospel. First, that he himself might fade away so that the Lord himself is the one proclaiming. So spiritually preparing, but also even just practically. You know, in the monastic tradition, if a priest or deacon makes mistake, a mistake when they're proclaiming the gospel, they begin to strike their breast and they have to go to the abbot later and ask for severe penances. Because they even make a mistake, repeat a word or blur a word, is considered offensive. So the priest, before he proclaims the gospel, asks spiritually, but then also practically, help me to proclaim in a worthy manner. For who is the priest? Who am I? Bruised, broken, a sinner before God? And I'm going to proclaim the life-saving message of Jesus Christ? I'm not worthy to do that. So the priest prays to be made worthy, that he might proclaim the gospel well. If the deacon proclaims the gospel, he has to stand before the priest, and he asks the priest for a blessing. And the priest gives a similar blessing to the deacon, that the Lord might be on his mind and in his heart and on his mouth that he might worthily proclaim the gospel. So we have a special prayer, a blessing, before the gospel can be proclaimed. Then as the priest or deacon approaches the ambo in order to proclaim the gospel, we see a direct address. In the other parts of the liturgy of the word, God is speaking to us, but we speak indirectly. Thanks be to God. A reading from the second book of Kings. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Indirectly. But when it comes to the gospel, we speak in a direct fashion. Let me illustrate. Go and give the responses. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. The gospel of the Lord. That's a direct address. Glory to you, Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It is as if Jesus himself is standing here at the ambo proclaiming the gospel. Because guess what, Team Grace? Jesus Christ is there at the ambo proclaiming the gospel. And we acknowledge that by the direct address. Glory to you, Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's a direct address. And it's important that we understand that during the proclamation of the gospel, the reason why the grace of holy orders is needed, the reason why we have all these other traditions is because in the gospel, Jesus Christ is present, and Jesus Christ is proclaiming his gospel once again to us. Just as he proclaimed it over 2,000 years ago in Nazareth and Capernaum, throughout Galilee and into Jerusalem, just as he proclaimed it there, he today proclaims it to us. 
Jesus is here, present, proclaiming the gospel. And then after the gospel, after the gospel is proclaimed, the one who is proclaimed that the priest or deacon bows to the word and kisses the gospel book. The one who proclaimed the gospel bows, acknowledging, who am I? Showing deference to the word. Deference that the Lord himself has spoken. The priest, the deacon are mere instruments, broken instruments, human instruments that are being used by the Lord Jesus in order to proclaim his gospel. So we see all these traditions that surround the gospel. These are ways in which the church teaches us that we can understand the seriousness of what's happening. Dear friends, I've said before, as Catholics, we kind of treat, treat the word of God as trash. We're trying to change that here at Our Lady of Grace. We need to start reading and studying the scriptures in our home. We need to speak about the scriptures and share divine wisdom with our neighbors and our co-workers. During the liturgy of the word, we have to understand what's happening. We have to show due reverence and honor to the proclamation of the word and especially the gospel. You know, there are still Catholics who periodically will reach out to me and say, how far into the mass can I go before I can no longer receive Holy Communion? What a complete lack of love. What a total misunderstanding of what we're doing at the Mass. What a complete offense to the liturgy of the Word. The liturgy of the Word is not the prelude to the liturgy of the Eucharist. The liturgy of the Word stands in its own right and has its own power. And the baptized person who loves the Lord wants to be receptive of the divine wisdom that's being given, and especially in the proclamation of the Gospel. So as Catholics, we have to be a little more attentive. Sometimes there's a priest who proclaims, and I've heard this from our deacons as well, when they proclaim the gospel, they look out and they see the people of God, they're talking, they're playing games, their minds are somewhere else, they don't care. My goodness, Jesus Christ is speaking, and his disciples aren't listening. Dear friends, who are we? Who do we think we are? God has showed us a tremendous benevolence that he has chosen to come to us, and here in our midst he proclaims his gospel that we might be saved. And we have chosen freely to be his disciples, which means we should pay attention when the Lord is speaking to us. Do you know the spiritual masters tell us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, one word is proclaimed, but it's applied in thousands of different ways. That shows the power of the Holy Spirit. One word, one proclamation, and it's applied in a thousand different ways. Where are you right now in your discipleship, dear friends? What's going on at work? Or in your marriage? Or your parenting? What's happening with your health or your finances? What's going on in the struggles of your own heart with virtue? Wherever God's providence might have you, whatever your state of affairs, the Lord Jesus today proclaimed wisdom that can help you. And our task is to be attentive and listen to this word and then to apply it. How can this word be a part of my life? How can this help me? Because there are no accidents. Pope St. John Paul II used to say, accidents are nothing but providence in disguise. Huh? Coincidence is nothing but providence in disguise. This word is given to us either because it's healed us for something that has already happened or because it's preparing us for something that's going to happen this week. The Lord wants to help us. So let's look at our gospel reading today. The Lord is walking through Samaria, walking through Galilee, and ten lepers approach him. The Lord heals all ten. Nine of them are his own people. They don't come back. They're distracted, self-entitled, whatever's going on. They don't come back. But the Samaritan, the foreigner, 
He's the one who comes back, glorifying God in a loud voice and give thanks. He is the one person that no one would have expected would have come back. Everyone knew the Samaritans were ingrates. But it's the Samaritan who comes back and the Samaritan who gives thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus. How does that apply in your life? Have you been giving thanks? Or are you the ingrate? Or have you been the one that has been giving thanks and have been the victim of another ingrate that you're called to forgive? Have you been surprised by a person you weren't expecting is the one who stepped up? Isn't it sometimes distressing when it's the one we don't expect and sometimes we don't want, but that's the one who shows the virtue we need? What's happening in your life? And how does the proclaimed gospel this week apply to you in your state of affairs? And you can apply this divine wisdom, dear friends. God's word heals us, encourages us, corrects us, sustains us, lifts us up. We have to open our hearts. There are so many times in which the Lord Jesus is speaking and his disciples are distracted. There are some Catholics who can walk outside of Mass and they don't even remember the gospel. Their minds were somewhere else. Their hearts were somewhere else. How can you forget the gospel? Jesus Christ just spoke to you. Which is why it's so important that we pay attention. And as we're hearing the gospel, that we begin to apply it. So we can hold it in our minds. And as we walk out, we carry that word with us. Sometimes during the proclamation of the word, we see people, they're focused so much on their missiles. They're trying to, pay, to be involved and pay attention, which is good. But that really should be done before Mass. During the proclamation of the word, Mother Church would prefer that you just pay attention to what's happening. That you just look at the one who's proclaiming and listen to the Lord Jesus. You might notice that whenever the gospel is proclaimed, all the servers, everyone in the altar area turns and faces the ambo. Because Jesus is speaking. St. Paul tells us that we receive faith by listening, by hearing. So we can put the missiles down and just pay attention. Sometimes we're so focused on what's in front of us, we miss what the Lord is actually speaking to us. Remember, we do not receive faith by reading. Principally, we receive faith by listening and hearing. Put the missiles down and pay attention. Jesus is speaking to you. Reminds me of an interview I read with Pope Francis. He said one of his frustrations is that when he greets people, he feels as if he's greeting cell phones. Because everyone holds their cell phone up in front of them. He's trying to say hello and greet them and they take up their cell phones, right? That's what can happen with our missiles. We've got our missiles in front of our face. Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus wants to see us. He wants to look at our face. He wants us to hear him. So we can put those things down for the proclamation of the gospel and just listen. And as we hear the word of God, we can ask ourselves, how does it apply to me? And then once we find that connection, we hold that. St. Paul tells us that the Word of God, rich as it is, dwells within you. Everything we need, we have received. When we go out and we find ourselves in the midst of confusion, anxiety, challenge, temptation, darkness, everything we need, the Lord has given to us. Our invitation is whether we're going to live as children or orphans. And there's so many children of God who let themselves live as orphans. As if God doesn't take care of us, God doesn't teach us, God's not here to be with us. They act as if they're orphans. We are not orphans, dear friends. We are the children of God, sons and daughters of the beloved Father. And He is constantly pouring His grace into our hearts through His Son. And we have to allow that Word, rich as it is, to dwell within us. 
The prophets tell us that if we nurture that word, that word becomes a, a, a great and brand, a grand tree. It becomes so robust that those who are weary can find shade under the tree. But if we hear the word of God and we don't do anything with it, it just sits there. It's a little seed. A mustard seed that can move a mountain is just left as a mustard seed. But to those of us who hear the word of God and want it to work and fan it in the flame, that little seed can move a mountain. That seed becomes a grand tree. And even others will find consolation by the faith that we have because of the word of God. So one word proclaimed in thousands of applications. Make sure that you hear the word of God, dear friends. That you understand that Jesus Christ has spoken to you this morning. And he has given you his gospel. And I encourage you to claim that word, to apply it, and to hold that word. Now, dear friends, I want to keep going. Because <laughs> i got some things to say about the homily, right? But we're going to pause. That's next week. But I want you today just to understand the gospel. I want you to understand how much the Lord loves us. That every time we come to Mass, He comes and He's in our midst and He teaches us and He speaks to us and He gives us the wisdom we need in order to walk through the fallen world and to be with Him in heaven. Okay, those are the parts of the Mass. Now let's shift to the other part, which is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We're going to look at number 1345. So if you have your catechisms, you can join me, number 1345. Let me ask you, Teen Grace, how many main parts are there of the catechism? Wow, okay, what's the first part? The creed, okay, good, then? Sacraments and? Morals and? That's a good part. You should have seen this part when I say, what's the first part? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's okay, we're all in this together, okay, right? You know, it's interesting, I ask these questions almost every week, but if I skip one week, we feel it, don't we? Huh? It's okay, we got a lot going on, a lot of things we have to remember in life. I get it, I get it. But let me ask you robustly, Team Grace, how many parts are there of the catechism? Four. What's the first part? Three. The second? Five. The third? Four. The fourth? Five. There we go, I knew you were out there. Excellent. All right, well, let's go to number 1345. 1345 reads, As early as the second century, we have the witness of St. Justin Martyr for the basic line of the order of the Eucharistic celebration. So St. Justin was a highly skilled philosopher in the Greek mind. He was a pagan. He heard the gospel and he immediately became a Christian. He was just so captivated by the gospel and by Jesus Christ. And once he became a Christian, he used all of his skills in order to defend and explain our faith. Okay, the catechism continues. They have stayed the same until our own day for all the great liturgical families. St. Justin wrote to the pagan emperor Antoninus Pius, around the year 155, explaining what Christians do. So this is the year 155. This is about 120 years after our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. And it's about 100 years after all the events we see in Acts of the Apostles. So we can look at the Acts of the Apostles and see the breaking of the bread and the life of the early Christian community. And then we fast forward to the mid-2nd century and we hear from St. Justin a summary of the Christian worship. So I'm going to read this, and you tell me if it sounds familiar. On the day we call the day of the sun, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits. When the reader has finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. <laughs> Did you hear that? Admonishes and challenges them. Mm-hmm. 
It doesn't say give them warm fuzzies, right? I told you I had some things to say about the homily. I know, I know, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. The catechism continues. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others, whoever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions and faithful to the commandments so as to obtain eternal salvation. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. Then someone brings bread and a cup of wine and water mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of his Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks that we might be, be judged worthy of these gifts. When he has concluded the prayers and thanksgivings, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying, Amen. When he who presides has given thanks and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the Eucharistized bread, wine, and water and take them to those who are absent. Does that all sound familiar? Dear friends, that's exactly what we do here. So we can look at Acts of the Apostles, this testimony of St. Justin in the mid-2nd century, and then we fast forward, we look at the early 21st century, and it's the same. Mother Church teaches us that generation after generation, celebration after celebration, the Holy Spirit continues to work. That what the Lord did in the upper room, what he accomplished by his passion, death, and resurrection is represented by the power of the Holy Spirit in every generation. That means we can come and participate here just as St. Justin did in the second century, just as the early Christian community did in the first century. That we are continuing to do what the Lord has done. We continue to be a part of his passion, death, and resurrection. And we get to be a part of that as members of the baptized. What the Lord has done, and we're also connected with all those forebears of ours who've gone before us when we participate in this sacrifice. Now there's more here in the catechism. We'll continue to walk through it. But for now, Team Grace, I'm going to encourage you. Make sure that you are actively and consciously participating in the Mass. During the liturgy of the Word, put into your heart that biblical prayer, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Calm yourself down. Hold on to sacred silence. Open your heart. Let God speak to you. Let the Lord Jesus proclaim his gospel to you. Be active in the parts of the Mass. And then secondly, read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Maybe that second part on Holy Communion that we're reading at Mass. Or maybe there's a different part of the Catechism that you want to read. The most important part is that you're studying sacred teaching, that you're allowing these instructions to be a part of your heart. So as we celebrate this Mass, I'm going to encourage you. Be active in the Mass and be sure to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church.